Welcome back to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Uh, now in our, I always get this wrong, fifth year. Wait, actually, six. Sixth year, all right. Six okay, years, easy now. <laughs> um, well, we've been doing it a while. It's great to be with you and our sponsors back again. We got very excited that TaylorMade is back on board. Uh, I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Golf spiritual leader, along with uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, mental performance coach. By the way, I before we get to our guest today, I, was, I went all the way to Guelph to see uh, Brooke Benny. Family, <laughs> Brooke Benny, Brooke Benny, and, and this is if you were with us last uh, show. Tim was talking about this guy. He's a uh, RMT slash golf fitness uh, guru. Brooke Benny is his name, and uh, when you first told me, I was I couldn't stop singing. Whoa, Brooke Benny, Bama Lamb, Bama Lamb. And when I when I met him in person, I started singing that right away. He didn't seem to mind. No, no, he told me that I I had to share this with everyone. So uh, uh, I coached the can't well I coached the University of Guelph golf team, and I shared it with everybody on the team. Just check this out, and I thought of it. Later, I thought, um, you know, what a morning guy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, well, that was really funny. First of all, we haven't introduced Kent yet. We will. No. <laughs> We're going to introduce Kent, uh, our, our guest today, in just a second. But I, and I, I'm going to follow up on what I learned from Brooke Benny. But thanks for the uh, the recommend. I'm driving to Guelph, thinking of you. I was like, I'm driving to Guelph. Why aren't I visiting the great Tim yeah. O'Connor? I don't even yeah. know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because you say it's six years. I don't know. But as long as we've been doing this, I've never been to the O'Connor Estates. I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's like, have you been, have you been to Tim's place? No, man. I haven't got the pass. I don't know him that well. I'm not Tim's house invite close. But you've been oh. to my place. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's because your studios, <laughs> your studios where you live. That is a technicality, Tim. Anyway, is, I, I, I was going to send you a text as I was leaving. I was like, hey, do you have time? But I thought you probably are very busy changing lives. You know what? I want to be very clear here, Howard. You're, you're more than just a golf acquaintance. I know. You're a golf friend. I appreciate that. One of that. my best golf friends. Actually, one of my best friends, period. I just, I just want well, people I, to know that. I appreciate that. I mean, if I, and I'm not disputing that. But if I were truly... A best friend. Wouldn't I know where you live in Guelph? Uh, I don't want uh, I don't want to. Really? It's gone uh, there already? Like now Catholic versus Jew guilt competition. Uh, anyway. But are we? But in our sixth year, isn't that when we're supposed to get it, have it like these, these kind of rivalries, these things come up? And when you yeah. say something, I go, oh, he always does that when we do this. Yeah, it's, it's year, usually year five or six, you start sounding like a married couple. Um, our guest today, <laughs> I started following him as I do uh, a bunch of different golf people. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, we got some, like I follow Dameron because he's a buddy and, and he's a pretty smart golf guy. I follow Hal Sutton later in the show. I'm going to tell you about me texting back and forth with Hal Sutton. Cool. That's, that's the great thing about social media. I'm like, uh, be in the right club today, guy. And I are having a, de- mm-hmm. a debate about golf spirituality. Anyway. I don't know why I'm yelling. That. I don't know why I'm yelling. Just very excited to have our guest on. That's how I met uh, this guy. <laughs> I started following him on Twitter because I could tell almost immediately that he was 
kind of a kindred spirit. I, I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago before I reached out to Kent. I said, I'm following this guy, and he, he sounds like he'd be right up our alley. He's a very similar vibe to what he writes and what he believes. And you can learn a lot about a person. I'm going to read you some of the stuff that I've that really has resonated with me. But let me describe to you, uh, he, he is a, uh, to you people, he's a um, retired, I'm, I'm, I want to say uh, executive coach, Kent. You were a, a management trainer or a... Well, a you life could say coach. executive coach. Yeah. You could say performance coach. You could say mental coach. I mean, I, you know, worked in the NHL for a while, and then, but most of my work has been with uh, executives. So, well, yeah. in your description, any on, of that works on on your uh, Twitter uh, page. I love the description: aspiring writer slash golf philosopher. And here's the <laughs> interesting point of the many interesting things about our guest. He began golf at age 50, and I want to get into this, scratch golfer in 2019, club champion in 2020, and loves, loves to share his insights on the uh, mental game, and that's enough for us. Welcome, Kent Osborne. Hey, Kent. Uh, thanks. Morning, guys. Well, let's get right into it. I, um, I know Tim's got some questions, but my first question is a little bit about your origin story. Had you really not ever touched a golf club? And I'm sure you get this all the time before age 50. Yeah, no, I had, I had touched the golf club before that. I mean, I probably played maybe four or five times in my life. Uh, You know, my wife and I took the kids out a couple of times to a driving range, but uh, I really had no interest in the game at all. Um, Matter of fact, I used to get sports illustrated and, if there was a if there was a golfer on the cover, I'd complain <laughs> to my wife about it. So um, I had zero interest in the game, and kind of I got into it serendipitously. Really, it was kind of strange, but um, yeah, what happened was uh, I'm having my fiftieth birthday party, and uh, my best buddy Red uh, is fly, flies in from Winnipeg, and he's going on about golf, 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 golf. So finally, I said. Jesus, buddy, you know, I don't even play the game. I'd probably beat you. So he says, well, big mouth, come on out and, you know, and try, et cetera, et cetera. So I put it in the back of my mind. And then uh, August rolls around. He's he's uh, getting a divorce from his wife. He's going through a hard time. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, it'd be nice to spend some time with him. So uh, he threw out the challenge once again and nice load to Winnipeg. And he, uh, you know, he organized a three-day tournament. We had a few pops and had a lot of laughs and, and it just happened to coincide with a, an injury in my throwing arm. I was a recreational softball player, and uh, I couldn't throw the ball anymore. And I'm I'm looking for something to fill the gap. And so I came home and basically played every day in September and then uh, joined the club, and next season was my first. How many years ago? I know Tim's got a question, but how many years ago was that? I, I, I so how be, many years ago was it to start from start the, to scratch? Ten years? No. From start to scratch was uh, 13 seasons. Okay. So it was not a uh, – and that's an interesting story too because I would say this first – my first three or four years at it, like um, with my coaching background, uh, what I believed in was that y- you have to – in order to influence performance, you've got to combine external knowledge with like an inner knowing. And – when those two things click, 
you can make some real progress in terms of, uh, you know, personal, professional growth. And, um, you know, I had all this understanding and, uh, you know, but when I got to golf, for whatever reason, I just kind of drank the PGA Kool-Aid. and I did what everybody else did. I took lessons. I tried to stand behind the ball and visualize trajectories. And, and you know, I'm like four years into it and I couldn't break 90. So, you know, I said to myself, look, self, um, you know, I was a pretty good hockey player as a kid. I was a pretty good baseball player. I thought I'd be, if I put some time and effort into it, I'd be a pretty decent golfer, club level golfer, but it wasn't happening. So, um, I just basically went back to the drawing board and, uh, looked at what I believed, uh, from my, uh, from my years of work with athletes and executives and, and I just started to take a very different approach. I felt that, uh, you know, it was important to be, uh, to be creative uh, with your swing. And so I started looking around and, and I thought to myself, okay, what do I got to do? Because one of the things that I would do in my seminars, we would talk about how leadership needs to develop in stages. It's not just about taking this pie of, of uh, you know, characteristics and diving in wherever. And so I thought, okay, what, what are the stages that I have to go through in the swing? Well, I got to hit it longer. I got to hit it higher because I need to hold greens from 150 to 200. I got to develop a short game and then I got to be able to put it in the hole. So I kind of took that almost like a season or two for each one where that became kind of my, uh, my focus. And on the mental side of the game, I mean, that was, that was interesting because – when I was playing softball with the boys, we probably had the worst team in North America. And, and I had more laughs than you could imagine. I mean, it was just, it was a great group to play with. We would, we'd get together after, after every game, we'd give out a trophy. And the trophy was a, was a, a artificial leg with a, with a baseball cleat on it. And the trophy, and the trophy was given to the guy who kicked it around the worst, made the worst error. That's awesome. And there was no problem giving out that trophy every night. Yeah, I bet. And I started playing golf with these guys when I came back home and these same guys who were happy-go-lucky on the golf course were, were, were consistently bent out of shape. I mean, happy-go-lucky on the diamond were consistently bent out of shape on the golf course. And so, you know, I looked at all this and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take a, I'm just not going to drink this Kool-Aid of, you know, the, the PGA thing to me is, is it just, it's, I think the best way to describe it is this distance report. If you look at the distance report, it's really focused on less than 1% of the people who play golf. And I think the whole mentality of performance, I think the whole mentality of um, improvement, constant improvement, I just think it's it's wrong. And it, and it leads to... Uh, you know, uh, an over-focus on swing mechanics. It leads to an over-focus on mental mechanics. Well, Ken, and let's just jump most in. guys, that, it just doesn't work. So first of all, just, that's, that sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, sorry, there's a, there's a lot to, on, yeah. there's a lot to unpack there. Tim, where do you want to start? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken, what, what I'm really interested in, Kent, is what was the yeah. piece that really catapulted you to another level of, shall we say, awareness? I totally get what you're saying about this PGA attitude. Uh, Michael Hebron, uh, we've had on the show a couple times. One of the one of the things that he has said that 
kind of like that uh, culture of instruction has taken the fun out of golf is that you're supposed to do it mm-hmm. this way. If you want to be competent, mm-hmm. you have to look like this at your finish. You need to look like Adam Scott or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this way to do it right. Can you describe to us your own kind of awareness of round being aware you're kind of caught in that paradigm and what did you do differently that helped you move forward? Mm. Well, I don't think there was a, I honestly don't think there was like a threshold, you know, uh, on the road to Damascus moment for me where I fell off the golf cart and, you know, <laughs> saw, saw the light, <laughs> fell off the golf cart a couple of times, but yeah, no kidding. It, it, it didn't see the light, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I think the, probably the biggest thing that dawned on me at some point was that there needed to be this, you know, yin-yang kind of balance between, for me as a recreational player, there needed to be a balance between, um, you know, the, just enjoying it and playing well. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think the whole playfulness idea is, is just lost in the, in the, in the instructional paradigm. Um, and so more than anything else, I wanted to be playful when I was standing over the ball, because what I see with guys is that they love the periphery of the game, but they don't love the game itself because the game itself tends to make them anxious and make them pissed off. And, you know, if you go into a clubhouse and you, you ask, you know, 20 guys, why do you play? They'd say, well, I play for fun. Yeah, play for enjoyment. You know, I love it out there. Well, you go out and play with them. I can tell you, my club of 550 guys, you you, you count on one hand the guys who don't mm-hmm. get either bent out of shape or are anxious. And so to me, I wanted to be playful when, I, when it was my turn to play. That's... That's the holy grail of it for a recreational player. And, you know, my point of we've we've talked about that theme of you know Hebron's one of Michael's books is called uh, "Play Golf to Learn Golf." The idea that golf as play is uh, for a lot of golfers, as you've described, Ken, it, it doesn't really. They say they like to play the game, but what they think what happens to a lot of golfers is they really endure the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one they don't they actually yeah. just endure it that's a good one yeah. so they, they get through it yeah uh but and then you ask them after yeah i had fun but what they really like is the two or three times around where it kind of you know it all comes together i i've, I've made a couple of comments on kent's yeah. twitter feed and you can sort of tell that we're on the same page because you know, the, the path or the road to nirvana isn't one moment in time. As we've learned on this show through five, uh, six years and hundreds of episodes and hours, what we've learned is that the, the road itself is, you know, it's, it's simple. It's the, the suffering is the point. And as soon as you understand that, that that's enjoyable that you make that enjoyable, then the outcomes sort of take care of themselves. But I promise you there's guys listening to this show going, wait a second, 
Kent did what two years of short game and one summer of long game because everyone is looking for the formula. But and and when people ask you, as we are, you know, what was that one moment? What I want, uh, what I hear you say is that it's not. It's an it's a realization. So what? Because you you were like a lot of golfers, you got sucked into it. Three or four years mm-hmm. in, it's frustrating. You can't break ninety, but something shifts, and maybe mm-hmm. that's something you can talk about, uh, and and maybe some instruction for people listening. And what is the shift? The paradigm shift. Well, I think the paradigm shift is is twofold, really. On on the one hand, you 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 want to get out of get completely out of that mechanical thinking and start to explore possibilities on with your swing. Um, you know, for me, it was, it started with, you know, okay, let's, let's look at the guys I play with and, and just ask myself, who, who's the best iron player I play with? And how does he do that? And, and who's the best driver of the ball golf ball that I play with? And how does he do that? And who's got the best short game? And how does he do that? And then just start to literally play around with it. I mean, you know, open stance, closed stance, everything. And just start watching your ball flights and start trying to figure it out and have have fun with it. Like I, I like to say that I, I don't practice to get better. I practice because I love practice. Yeah. And, and if I get better in the process, great. But I mean, I see guys on Twitter. They get they get you can you can almost feel them getting bent out of shape because you say something about the improvement culture, and it's like you know what if. If you're out there because you need to improve, then knock yourself out, buddy. But that just didn't work for me. Uh, maybe it's the way to go if you're on the, you know, elite amateur college PGA tour trajectory. But that's my point: is that that whole mindset's that way. And for me, on the on the mental side of it, the number the number one thing was I think is coming to the realization that uh, you've you've just got to stop shooting on yourself. Yeah, you know yeah. that's 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 job one, and and to me that's a couple of levels. You know, there's the obvious level of of uh, you know keep your head down, you goddamn idiot, and all this kind of stuff. But there's the other level of of uh, oh I hit it fat, oh I hit it thin. How did that not break left? How did that not break right? You know, this commentary thing that happens after a bad show. And you see what what happens with guys. They get into this. They put emotional energy, a lot or a little, into bad shots, and, and then they remain as stoic as Marcus Aurelius if they hit a good one. Yeah. You know, th- their buddies will say, "Great shot," and it's like, "Thanks." Yeah. And so, from my point of view, I, I wanted to reverse that around. I wanted to say to myself, "You know what, self." I'm I'm going to put no energy whatsoever in, into my bad shots because they're inevitable. And if I get a good one, I mean, I'm not going to go around like Ian Poulter, my eyes bugging out. But <laughs> if 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 I hit a good one, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go, whoo, you know, like I'm gonna let myself let that happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that, when and, yeah, you see that with Tiger Woods and other players. It's like when they hit a really good shot, you see Tiger do the. The club twirl. He's going like, I'm yeah. loving this. That's like that's his celebration. Um, yeah, I know a lot of players. Yeah, where enough. do you live? Just quickly, where do you live? I live in Barrie. Oh, okay. So a Canadian. I didn't know that. All right, there we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always talked about the people who uh, 
who hit a good shot. They go, yeah, that's fine. It's kind of like the Frank Mahovlich, you know? Yeah. What, what I want to connect to is... Well, I was going to say, though, Timmy, that's a real cultural, culture of men thing, though, too. Men that's are so, what I want to get to. Exactly. Men are so mm. comfortable expressing anger. Mm. We're not comfortable mm. going, you know, hey, did you guys see that? That was pretty cool. Oh. 100%. So what I wanted to connect was uh, on the subject of men, and you talked about you worked with a lot of executives, so I'm going to presume a lot were, are male. I see the same things happening. 60%. Yeah, I see the same thing happening in the... in in sort of the the men's culture about I have to do it right. I have to be seen to be credible. I have to be seen to be professional. I got it all together. So when they yeah. don't, when they make a mistake on the golf course, that goes against the conditioning about being a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's a fair comment. Do you and, find that, I, is that something that you had to work with your clients on in a business way that also is applicable to golf? Well, um, more with my clients, what I morphed into towards the end of my career was I, I was doing more executive retreats than anything else. I mean, my, my one-to-one coaching like really diminished and I guess it, I was into really just offering, uh, you know, men and women the opportunity to, to, to step off the hamster wheel and, and, mm-hmm. and do some deep thinking. And, and I think that if you, you know, Perhaps you could say that the, you know, uh, right brain, imaginative, intuitive capacities are, are traditionally associated with the deep feminine. And it's not, it's not as likely for men to, um, you know, associate, uh, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be productively quiet here. I'm going to be productively non-busy for a while. And I'm going to tap into that intuitive sense. So that's, that's basically what I did uh, for the last number of years of my work. But I, and I think that that's true in golf too, because what I, what I believed from my work was that if I was going to get better as a golfer, yes, I had to play and, you know, all that stuff and, and, you know, all that stuff. But if I was really going to get better, the, the, the path was going to be primarily, imagination and emotion it wasn't going to be um you know an- analysis and i had to and i developed ways to to tap into that to influence my my belief about who i who i was as a golfer by by using those um right brain or or more feminine or traditionally female tools if you want to call it that so, um i'm, I'm look, uh, looking great, on your site point, i'm looking on your site here uh that you have an ebook. I want everyone to know you can get this ebook. It's called Play Like Ray. And I'm yeah. not sure uh, if we have time to get into that. I want to talk a little bit more about your journey to get your handicap down. Because when we first started this show, one of the things we said we could do was get anyone's handicap by, we could cut your handicap by six shots just for being a little bit smarter on the golf course and maybe not, you know, beating yourself up as much. So when you got down from a guy that couldn't shoot, under 90 mm-hmm. to a few seasons now you're breaking you know 80 occasionally and then a few seasons later you know as we all know from those last few shots so when you were a one point something or other weren't weren't how did you then 
maybe break through or was it was it just part of a process that just led to that eventually yeah. because the reason I'm getting at Ken is as you got better the uh, mm-hmm. it's it's intoxicating to want to then you know become more serious to get better instruction mm-hmm. how did you stay the path well uh, I, I stayed the path by having a path to stay I mm-hmm. guess and uh you know, I would do a number of things that I'm that I'm trying to that I'm writing about now in this uh, in this latest uh, uh, worst seller. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> but anyway, Welcome to the club. <laughs> but, but but one of the things that I that I did uh, I do religiously is I will I will journal my my best moments from around. Every round, and when I'm journaling those those moments, as I'm sh- as I'm sure you guys have talked about before, the, the 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 secret isn't what I write down; it's what I relive. And so, over time, what that does to your to your self belief is because because your 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 self belief basically works on what you what you tend to repeat and you tend to emotionalize. So if, if you're, if you're consistently round after round after round, week after week, month after month, season after season, if you're just, if, if you're telling that part of you, what Mo Norman used to call the robot, right? If you're telling that little robot in there, Hey, remember, man, you can, you can make this shot. You, you can make this putt. I mean, so it, to, to me, it wasn't as much about, you know, somehow suddenly driving the ball 300 yards, but it was more about staying on that path. And, and honestly, when I, when I crossed the thresholds for me, you know, breaking 80, breaking par, uh, they almost surprised me in the sense that I wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't driving to the golf course thinking, you know, today's, today's the day, man, I'm breaking 80. Today's the day, man. I'm shooting 69. It just it, it happened, and, and I think that staying, having a path, to, having a path to be on, having a path that you believed in, uh, that's that's the ticket. And part of that path for me is, I guess, uh, I know this might sound like you know shooting a sacred cow, but I, I don't believe in routines at all. I, I'm not. Uh, you know, mechanical routines, physical, mental routines. You know what? If that's what you got to do to be on the pros, then knock yourself out. But uh, they don't work for me. So I, I just want to be out there and play. I mean, for me, uh, if I'm standing on the green and I've got a 10-foot putt, I don't need any any routine to tell me that I want to make it. <laughs> I mean, h- how many times do you just go onto a practice green, drop a putt from 10 feet, have a look at it, bang it in the hole? So, uh, yeah, it's it's having a path. Okay, having a path that's to follow. I love so much of that, and I think a lot of it is is around the word what we've used often on this show through the years is intention. And if my mm. intention is to go to the golf course and just have a great day, I'm going to enjoy mm. my partners. We're going to have some fun here. I'm going to mm. enjoy the sun on my back and just the, watching the birds and the leaves. Then I tend to yeah. have a good time. The thing that I want to ask you about is 
it's this craving. Howard talked about suffering, and so many golfers create their own suffering, particularly with they should on themselves. I should be able to do this because I've practiced so much and, and yeah. done this. But was there a st- like? I'm really interested in how you dealt with kind of the. I'm not sure if it's the identification or what being a scratch was supposed to be. Here's what I'm going at is that so many people are always craving to, you know, go from a 15 to a nine. And then once they're a nine, they want to be a five. And then once they're a five, they want to be a one. Did you have this? What was the sense that when you became a scratch, when you won your club C, this is kind of rhetorical, but my sense is that you didn't feel like I have arrived I am Kent, the golfer, that it was just another part of your journey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree for, for me with the, uh, with the club C thing, it was, uh, that was a part of me that felt that, well, if I could, you know, if it ever happened that I got to scratch and won a club C, then, then I really should, uh, kind of resurrect my, uh, my my coaching thing and see if i can see if i can help some other guys with with the uh with my perspective and my path um so that that was more of that for me um you know it wasn't and and i I think part of that path is realizing that like that the the buddhists the tibetan buddhists at least have have a practice where they where they visualize your 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 death and one of the things that I mean, I do that. Um, and one of the things that I've seen a lot of my courses, just the suffering that that some guys go through because they can't play like they used to. Mm-hmm. See, I, I didn't have a used to, so maybe, maybe that was. Uh, but I but I sat down. Um, I sat down with a guy at, at our club. Uh, they have a website, and you know they they were trying to put some different things on it. So I sat down with one and I had a brief chat with this guy, Jack Falaket used to play for the Leafs. And we were talking about that. You know, how do you, here's a guy who was a world-class, world-class athlete. And how do you go from that to being out, you know, hacking it around a men's night with, uh, with a bunch of guys. And for me, I, I, I really believe that, um, you know, you just you just have to. Enjoy. Everything is going to change. It's a philosophical thing, but it's going to change. I mean, Jack doesn't hit it as good as he used to. So, when's that moment for me? Am I going <clears> to <throat> am I going to tee it up in May and suddenly I can't hit it like I used to? Or so I, I guess it's just part of a part of having a philosophy, part of having a path that enables you to. To fail and succeed. I mean, may, maybe that's the answer. If if you have a path, you have a philosophy that's a good one. You can fail and you can succeed, and you're not you're not knocked off center. One one of the things that attracts people to this game. And I think if you're knocked off center by I sorry. I'm scared. There's a little bit of what we call latency here in the in the feed from your Barry internet to ours. So there's a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's attractive about golf that is also repulsive is how personally invested the game can 
can be for us. I was just thinking, you know, the you know the 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 idea of both failing and succeeding in the same day in the same round in the same hole you know you can you know it's the it's the most aggravating of games where you can hit maybe your best shot ever and your worst shot on the same hole you know and 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 then you know the whole the whole model of the instructive and Tim and I've spent hours talking about this, but it comes down to what you just said that you, if you're okay with both failing and succeeding, as I said to you on one of the posts, you and I were going back and forth. Self-belief is your belief in your ability to handle the vagaries of the game. That's all self-belief is on every first tee of every tournament round I play. I, I certainly have the knowledge that I have done this before and chances are all will be well. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a funny thing to have to remind. I don't have to do that before I play ping pong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I, yeah. I can have a bad ping pong game and not have it eat me for days. That's mm. the difference. Well, I think the Buddha was a golfer. Absolutely. Of, he was. Uh, you know, and a solid plus first one. Noble truth, <laughs> the first noble truth is actually golf is suffering. That's right. That is the yeah, first absolutely. one. I was yeah. going to say, I don't know if you're that. Buddha had a plus one. He could play. He could play. Did, not a great short game, Buddha, but a decent iron yeah, player. Fair hit, enough. Hit a Fair lot enough. of greens. If he had, listen, if Buddha could have putted, he could have been pro. You know what's really interesting as we start to wind this up is um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, when they heard that. You started playing golf in a more serious way at age 50, and it sounds like 13 seasons later, you were a scratch. I'm sure the bunch of people are going like, oh, boy, okay, what's the recipe for success? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Wait, Wait a second. Carefully, folks. 13 years from today. Yeah, exactly. What yeah. I'm hearing, What I'm hearing is that part of your recipe for success, if you will, is that you didn't want it with every fiber of your being. It was more like you just kind of went along. I'm going to have fun doing this. Hey, see what some other people are doing. Experiment. Work from your own experiences. And lo and behold, some things happened. I think it's from the, well, the wanting and the craving yeah. that golfers, yeah. they, get, actually, they get in their own way of whatever yeah. goals they have. I would say, to be, to be fair, I, it's, I would say that I embraced it with every fiber of my being. But that embrace didn't mean that I had to achieve something. So, you know, I'm as far down the rabbit hole as you can get. And I don't know whether it's, uh, you know, unfinished business from my, from my youth as an athlete or whether it's just my innate love of hitting a ball with a stick or, mm-hmm. or what it is. But, but to say, you know, I think to say that I took a casual approach to the game wouldn't be, wouldn't be honest or fair. I mean, I'm out there every day that I can be. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that I just love practicing, yeah. love it. Um, and especially I love practicing my short game. I mean, that's, that was, that's absolutely part of what helped me, you know, get to the level that I got to, but there was no time when it was like, you know, I, I've, I've, I've got to be scratched to be okay with myself. Or I've, no, I've I think, and I, and I was going to say, let me, okay. let me just interject. And I think that's what Ken, uh, Tim was sort of getting at. Exactly. That, that, and you won't find, you don't know us, but you won't find two people that spend more time thinking about golf. Well, sir, I speak for myself. I've said, this is a joke I've done 
before where I said to my ex-wife at any point, I said, listen, if I had thought about any one thing as much as I do my golf swing, I would have invented something or cured something easily. I said, oh, oh, and we'd be a lot richer. Um, But that doesn't, and I'm very much, and I'm much like you, you know, like lots of times people will ask me, you know, what's the secret to being a better player? And I always say, well, you look at where I spend most of my time. I love hitting golf balls. I, I, I love it at a DNA level, but as a player, I spend the preponderance of my time chipping, putting, and, and mm. my short game, which is, mm. and it's funny because like, you know, I love hitting the golf ball, but the problem with most players, including our friends listening, is that every year they go, okay, I'm going to work on my short game this year. And then every year, the only time you ever see anyone working on their short game is the night before the club championship. Yeah. They're all like, wait yeah. a minute, I need to cram for yeah. this exam. Yeah. Well, I got to give a shout out to my to to, to one of my buddies. I mean, I, I uh, there's a guy by the name of John Alpa joined our club, and he's what, a, by the way, what club he, are you at? Vespra Hills. I'm sorry, say it again. What Vespra? Vespra Hills. Okay. Vespra Hills. Anyway, this guy John joined our club, and you know, he and I were he and I became good friends, and I've been fortunate to. You know, to play with him and watch him, and uh, you know, there's no doubt that I learned a lot from him. And and w- one of the things that over the last three or four years I picked up was just how, you know, how he would uh, he would spend a good percentage of his time uh, with the, with the wedges. Yeah, that's always the way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's what good players do. I mean, that's just the bottom line. If if you if you if you see a good player. He's practicing with the wedges. Listen, Ken Osborne, what a uh, pleasure to meet you in person. We'll uh, correspond again, I, I've no doubt, on uh, Twitter. Ken at ScratchAttitude.com. He's got a new book coming out, but if you want to check out his website, ScratchAttitude.com is just the uh, URL, and the book is called Play Like Ray. Thank you, my friend. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, thanks, guys. Hey, it was great. Really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. Now, Tim and I are going to continue on, so you could just sort of let yourself out of the room and... You know, just, oh, sure. there's, there's no elegant sure. way to say, just go, just see ya. Okay. Just, yeah. Just off you go. Thanks. You did yeah. great. You did fine. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what's hey, solid. If you want to know solid 74, 75, very nice, decent, you know, yeah. little, yeah. Okay. little rocky Fair on enough. the back nine, but that's fine. You're yeah. new. Yeah. All right. My friend, yeah, take made care. Made the cut. De- well, okay. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Just on the number. Yeah. Get carried away yeah. with yourself. Thanks, Kent. There you go. He's just stares. A little split ends there. Is that split ends, or is that uh, crowded house? Crowded house, yes. I thought, don't dream, it's over. You know, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you brought that up, and I and I really love that you are saying, well, you know, with that idea of not every fiber of your being, but and and he countered that with, yes, no, I I do love it with every fiber of my being, but that's not the path to becoming a scratch golfer. It's the, it's all, you know, he did a lot of work and he 100% is, he and I, I've read, uh, read a little bit about his story and, you know, he's being, you know, humble about how much time he put into this, but that of doesn't course. mean anything. Lots of people put in time and they suck and never break 90. Um, what I loved about him talking about ha- having to reor reorient or reconfigure after three or four years, 
the idea that I don't need to be like a PGA Tour player. I, like, I think that's something that more and more I think people you know, get their heads around. Like we talk about golf at such a high level, but most people don't play at a high level. You know, I don't, back to ping pong, I never compare my ping pong game to the people that play in the Olympics. I just like having fun playing it, you know? Yeah, well, I think that where he was going, well, part of, I I love the fact that you bolstered the the point that it wasn't about the wanting. It wasn't about, oh, you know, I need to be scratched and I want this so badly. I think that, that's what gets in people's way is that is that craving for it. Yeah. But yeah, he did the work, but he kept that in balance. I think for sure that you know, I'm sure there's many times this guy, you know, first couple of times he had a shot at breaking eighty, he's probably pissed. And then he just arrived at oh wait a sec. I'm out here, I'm having some fun, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I remember the first couple of times I I had a shot at breaking eighty. Man, oh man, you couldn't have driven a nail up my <laughs> I'm sorry with where, a hammer where, I was so where, tight where, where are you going there Tim are you putting you, you could know, have driven a hammer up my ass I was you know, so tight you know, don't do that that's it that's not for you okay <laughs> no <laughs> listen don't try that no I mean, exactly. you know, I mean, watch your videos but don't try that kind of thing <laughs> okay um, but it was when it was when it was like okay this is fun I remember like having uh, having a match with my dad and one time and sitting in the bar afterwards and it was all about the match. And we looked at the cards later and went, it was like, hey, you shot 76 and I shot 77. Mm-hmm. And it was because the idea was to have fun with my dad. And we had a match. And it was spirited. We wanted to beat, beat each other. But it wasn't like this, as I say, this craving to hit a number. And, that, and if I hit that number, that would prove that I was somebody in the golf world. And I think that's where a lot of... Uh, people connect to as he said the sort of this pga attitude that they have to look like a golfer Mm -hmm. they have to act like a golfer and have a swing like a golfer and that stuff eh, just kind of it just totally gets in the way one of his posts that i like i was gonna bring it up with him but we were running out of time he says sometimes i feel the culture of club level golfers is so inundated with expectations for performance and the need for improvement, that we've lost the ability to question whether all this striving, in your case is uh, craving, all this craving actually brings any benefit to our games or our lives. And, and I love, and, and that's one of the reasons I reached out to him, because I could sort of see that he thinks about the game on a similar level to you and I. And that is, you know, it's something that I have to think about. And, you know, when he talked about you know, not being as good as you used to be. And, I, you know, I've had those thoughts about, you know, obviously I'm jealous because, you know, he's a scratch golfer and I want to be a scratch golfer and I'm not a scratch golfer. Yeah. But uh, it's the idea of to recon, re-maybe think about what is it I really enjoy about the game and, and to connect with that. You're always telling your students to, you know, to write down what you love about golf and you know, what I have loved about golf, and I've talked a lot about it on the show, is, you know, getting better was what I wanted to do. But for what? To, to get better, to, as you said, just so I could look good or I could be the guy that was a good player. And then I realized the last few years, what I also love about golf is there's other things about it. I love, the, I love all the other things about it, too, as well as hitting a, a low bullet, 
you know, iron into the under the wind, you know, to, you know, all that stuff. I love that, too. But I I sort of I think as I've gotten older, connected with some of the other things about the game. Absolutely. Well, the stuff around, like he talked about, I think if you use the word periphery, like to me, one of the key parts of a, of a round of golf is sitting around afterwards with uh, a favorite beverage and just talking and connecting. That's as important as you said, hitting, you know, splitting a fairway, sinking a putt. That's as important. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a balance of things. But one of the things that really is very interesting is that um, he mentioned that he's as far down the rabbit hole as anybody. The guy's a, guy's a golf nerd. You don't become a really good player unless you are totally immersed in this game. But it's the balance of it. So what I have a sense is that when he goes to practice, he's enjoying himself. When he's hitting a shot, and you know, he likely hits he hits some fat, he hits skulls, you know, he leaves them short, hits them long, rather than I would suggest condemning himself. Oh, when am I ever going to get this right? You know, I, I, I got to keep my left wrist firm. No, he's more playful. It's like, okay, what just what happened there? Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that that's what what I'm learning more and more about this game is that when I have a lighter attitude, when I kind of take it all with sort of a sense of indifference, which is which is different than not caring. No, it's like whatever happens, hey, okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> you know, you can laugh about it, learn about it. But it's, it's, yeah, if you want to get to be a really good player, whatever stage of golf you're at, folks, you immerse yourself in it, but it's having this balance of, of, of I would say, not necessarily being tied to doing it right, looking like, Adam Scott or whatever, it's what works for you and being able to have a good time doing it. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I, I have so many things I, I can say nothing. Um, <laughs> I just have nothing to offer. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Cause there's a lot going on here. I do. I know that this guy's got you thinking, <laughs> Well, this is great. uh, Yeah, I mean, I've I've thought a lot about, uh, you know, I think I mentioned this to you about like, when do you know it's time to move to the white tees? You know, I think that that should be that should be one of our e-books. It's time to move to the white tees. But you can be a scratch from the white tees, and that would be just as good as being a scratch from the blue tees or the backs. I listen. I don't care if I have to go to the red tees to become a scratch. I don't care, Tim. I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. Um, Yeah, I I mean, you know, I've had a lot of this winter has given us a lot of time to think about. You know, this summer eventually will be here, and then it's another year of golf, and then Monday I sign up for all the tournaments and so forth and so on and i just sort of get back on this cycle you know you and i are looking to get fit for our clubs and it's the sort of the ebbing and flowing of the seasons of the game Mm -hmm. and i I know i started to feel it a little bit last summer maybe it was covid maybe it was just a so much more gratitude around being able to play golf than i ever have and I, I, interestingly enough, I had a, you know, a good summer in terms of my play. But, you know, 
I, I think as we age that we it's it sort of behooves us to look at why we're playing for different reasons. I, I you know, and I get what you say about you know it's the it's the camaraderie after the round, and you know to be honest, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are moments in every round of golf. Uh, certainly toward the end of last summer where I was really concentrating on or allowing myself to experience the gratefulness yep. of being out in the, you know, outside, knowing it was coming to an end, you know? And I think that as a metaphor for life, I think that's why people in the, we'll call it the August, September of their years, uh, as the fall of our lives arrive, we become more grateful for for our existence because we can see that the round's going to be over. Have I mixed enough metaphors for you people? This is why <laughs> this is why I'm golf's spiritual fucking leader. Listen back to that paragraph, please. Yeah, did you hit a Did you hit a home run into the corner pocket while just, on a power play? Just go ahead, please. <laughs> I just, it was one of those things where as I was speaking, I'm like, this is good. Keep it up, Jew boy. Anyway. <laughs> Write this down. Write that shit Tim, down. Hope Tim's recording this. Someone um, better be recording that last part where I was talking. But no, but I, I believe it. That's why it's like, I, it's the honest truth. That's why it's easy to yeah. remember. It's funny thing about the well, truth. Well, it is a podcast. It is recorded. So. Right, right. <laughs> so, well, one of the things that I think, so we're, we're all over the place here in terms of the spectrum, if you will. And so we've talked, this has been a really philosophical, if you will, uh, podcast, but there are some really good things you can take from it. Some very concrete tools. And one of the things he talked about was, was staying on the path. So how do we do that? I would say a core way is through journaling. I have a client. Who, That's what he said. I thought that was impressive. Absolutely. So I, I ask a lot of my clients to do this. A lot of them won't do it. They just won't do it. Uh, I got to say that a lot of my players on the on the university team provide a year. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we say, this is something that we're going to do. Oh, you got to stay right on top of them to get them to do it uh, because they're just like everyone else. Oh, I'm done around the golf. I don't want to have to do some homework. I'll tell you, folks, it's one of the best things you can do is just to say, go after a round and let's say you go through the three most, not necessarily your best shots, but you most say enjoyable or memorable moments on the golf course. And you write down what happens. You could even write down what you felt in your body. What was going on? Did you feel, say, a breeze, the sun? Uh, were you still laughing at a joke that somebody told? What did you feel? What went on in that shot? And what happens when you start to, to uh, keep track of those things uh, for one thing, you're ingraining good things. You're, you're ingraining memories that you want to keep, the feeling of it in your body. It's called anchoring, which is a huge tool in, in golf and all parts of life. What it does is over time, you start to see patterns develop as you, re, re, as you see it. And what it does is it keeps you on the path. So if your path is to, say, feel gratitude, to enjoy the, the golf course, to really see it, to be with your buddies. And say it's, it's something that could be part of your game that you're going to you know, breathe on every tee before every shot, whatever. Mm-hmm. That helps keep you on the path because if you're not writing these things down or recording them somehow, it just tends to get all jumbled up in our minds. So 
that I think is a core tool is to uh, keep a journal of, of every round. And believe me, it doesn't need to be encyclopedic length. It just needs to be some bullet points on, on your core shots. So I'll, I'll finish this ramble by saying I have a, a, a client who right from the beginning uh, keeps a journal of every round uh, that he plays. And there's so much great data that we could distill from that in terms of the various parts of his game, but also the patterns that when he's playing really well, he can go back to the goals. Oh yeah. When I'm not trying to kill it or whatever, I tend to play well. Mm -hmm. No, I loved all that. I'm sorry. Stan was barking and I was wondering why. And I was also seeing if somebody was at my door. Um, I don't, I have no problem with uh, having a meandering conversation, especially at this time of the year. I mean, what are we going to focus on? Um, you know, most golf shows by now have already, you know, discuss Jordan Spieth from last weekend and how he's playing. And um, that's cool. I mean, you can get that most anywhere. But if you want rambling, meandering, and nonsense, this <laughs> and mixed metaphors, rambling, come to Swing Thoughts. That should be our, our, our other book. Rambling, Meandering, and Nonsense by Tim and Howard. <laughs> exactly. I don't mind that. Listen, you know, I've been... Uh, you know, quietly working away in my golf lab all winter. I'm starting to, you know, take a few more swings. And and like I said, Monday is the day that the first uh, registration opens for, uh, you know, a GAO event. And, and like I said, uh, I, before I sort of get back on the, the wheel, I just want to make sure I'm... And maybe this could be for other people too. Just make sure that you're reconnecting or you're reconnecting you know, confirming what it is you're doing this for. Because now that I'm on the back nine of life, Tim, <laughs> now that I'm, I'm teeing off on the back nine, you know, I want to appreciate it. Like I, I read some, maybe we talked about this on the show. If, if you knew you were about to play your last round of golf, would that eight iron to the seventh green really, if you missed the green, would it be that big a deal? Or would you be like, cool, I get a chance to chip for the last time, or I get a chance to, you know what I mean? Am oh, I too, yeah. am I I too modeling? The, no, no. Uh, and just, just for the record, uh, I'm older than you. I'm actually coming up. To, my next birthday is the when I'm 64 birthday. So, just, Really? Yes, yes. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? I find yes. that hard to believe, Tim, because no, you're I'm, so youthful. Yeah, well, every time we do these Zoom calls, I see more and more of my forehead. Um, <laughs> the thing that so so yeah and and I and I, I have to wrap this up shortly. I got uh, another important yeah I got stuff to do up. too. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so you're not the busiest guy too. <laughs> I got Anyways, stuff too, Tim. Not you are just the busiest you. guy. That's what I mean to say. Um, oh, what was the what was the oh the great lesson of golf that I was going to leave people with oh my gosh I can't remember uh, you, you were going to say I'm coming towards my 64th, 64th birthday. birthday you are also you're older than me uh, golf is uh, good you have um, another appointment at 10 um, oh I know thank you for your assistance <laughs> sir okay Andrew nonsense this is like I heard I lost my keys okay um, when did you last have them <laughs> So, no, the key piece is is that, so let's say I do manage to have um, a great round. A shoot, you know, what for me would be like, you know, a, a 76 or something. Um, so I drive home and, yeah, I shot 76 today. Nice. But I tell you what, remember more and more is 
the good laugh I had on, say, the eighth tee with Wally, who I was playing with, or or Ronan. Ronan. <laughs> game. Ronan, Ronan alert. Ronan did this on the twelfth tee or yeah. something. It's that stuff that that really that's really where the satisfaction comes from. Hitting a nice number, yeah, that's that's great. But it's just kind of more flitting than um, I, I should be come up with a word that starts with F to finalize that. Oh, I did. There you go. Okay. Listen, man, I, I, I think a lot of this uh, podcast is you just working out your own personal demons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was wondering, uh, did you drop psilocybin in, before this episode? Or did I, I, did I take something? No, I don't know what, what's happening. I think you're, you know what I think? I think you're microdosing and you're not telling anyone. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, for all your um, Humble and Fred needs, go to HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, just a quick note for you swing thoughts, USTDs that are also Hundy Peas on Monday's Humble and Fred show. Uh, we are live streaming. You can see the uh, feed for the first time. And uh, uh, we will start at 730. Tim, have a great week. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. You're a very nice man, okay? You too, sir. Philosophical. Yeah. Philosophical. Metaphorical. When you listen back to that part, it was really good. <laughs> In other places